Hello and welcome to a multiversal episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinemechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. Today we'll be reviewing part one of our early Christmas present trilogy with 2021's Spider-Man No Way Home. First a little housekeeping, do want to say sorry for the delay uh, over the weekend while I should have been editing, uh, a new member might have been added to the Cinemechanic family, um, so <laughs> there was a slight delay in getting this episode out, won't happen again, I apologize. Uh, in addition to that, want to make sure that we establish that this is going to be a very spoiler heavy episode. Um, we will be talking in depth as to what happens with the movie characters, uh, and plot. So if you haven't seen the movie and you want to watch that before you listen to the review, I recommend going ahead and stopping now and coming back. If you don't mind listening to it before the review or uh, seeing it, or you have already seen it, then buckle up because this is going to be a fun one. We, uh... For me, this was a, an interesting movie where there was a lot to love and a lot to hate, so I think there's going to be some really interesting conversations that come out of it. So uh, go ahead and buckle up as we jump into the spoiler-verse here. Before we do, let's go ahead and check in on the shop. Hollywood Chop Shop, this is Brett. Brett, thank God. Hello, I'm Brett too. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's a, I guess, common name. Uh, what, what can I do you for? No, you don't understand. I'm you, just from a different version of Earth. It, it's very important that you listen to me right now. Look, man, I, we do brakes, shocks, struts, engine work. What do you need? It's about your business partner. It, there's going to be a terrible accident. Who is this, man? Like, I I don't have time for TikTok fucking jokes. Is, is, is this Chris, Jeremy? This isn't really funny. I, I got a lot to do. What, what, what kind of accident? Your, your partner, Travis, he's going to fall into a vat of oil, and it will lead to a terrible, terrible thing. I have to go for now. We'll be in touch. This is why I fucking hate having to answer the phones. Oh, hey, man. Uh... I just noticed we've got enough oil to take to recycling. Are you cool to watch the shop for a little bit while I haul it up to the plant? Oil? Wait, what the- was that you on the phone? Uh, n no Listen, I just got a call from someone who sounded a lot like me. He said he was from some other Earth or some shit like that. Oh, dude, it sounds like the multiverse. Do you think we're in the multiverse? What did you have to say? I, uh, he, he said you were going to be involved in some sort of oil-related accident. I wonder why my multiverse self didn't reach out to me. Did you hear what I said? He thinks you're going to be in an accident. Yeah, you know, multiverse. I'm sure I'm going to become like the oil avenger or some shit. That sounds like some kind of shitty band. Brett, I, I think you're thinking about this all wrong. I mean, aren't you the one saying it's it's hard to find good help around the shop? No good candidates, right? I have said that from time to time. Well, just imagine if we could recruit multiverse Brett. What's better than Brett? Multiverse Brett. He could help us find multiverse Travis. And then guess what? We've got double our workforce and double us. I don't know, man. This is starting to sound a little crazy to me. Oh, 
crazy. You know what's crazy? The amount of cash the multiverse can generate. I mean, we got to get in on that. Okay, it does sound profitable. I'm in. But before that, let's go ahead and review Spider-Man No Way Home. With Spider-Man's identity revealed to the world, Peter Parker attempts to harness magic to once again conceal his identity. When he inadvertently alters Doctor Strange's spell, he opens a rift in the multiverse allowing unknown enemies across varying timelines to invade his home and square off with the hero. Can Peter rehabilitate his alternate reality rogues and reverse the incantation while keeping his friends and family safe, or will he find himself at the mercy of the multiverse? Alright Travis. I would love to hear your quick diagnostic before we jump into five points. Um, I have a fair amount to say. Uh, as a great man on this podcast said, uh, nostalgia never goes out of style. And on a personal level, let me just tell you, it was kind of weird to see Spider-Man No Way Home in the same theater that I saw Spider-Man 2. <laughs> Uh, so that kind of was, perfectly already set me up for the nostalgia piece. Yeah, so a little, little history lesson for the audience here. Uh, me and Travis uh, met as ushers, or I guess I don't even know if we were ushers at the same time, working at Tinseltown. Um, and I remember when Spider-Man 2 came out, we actually got, that's when you still had to wait till midnight to see movies. There was no earlier screenings. Um we actually reserved the an entire row of the largest theater for us and our crew and took up dude it had to be what 22 seats that we sat there and reserved so <laughs> yeah number 11 theater 11 yep. um so yeah this this one definitely uh pun intended hits home a little differently because we did get to see one of the first movies i think we saw as a as a group a villain and spoiler alert hero from one of the first movies we ever saw as a group um back back on the big screen yeah so i i will fully admit that i'm primed for this marvel ride and you know you talked about it in the open there's a lot to love there's a lot to hate i could feel the uh, tentacles doc ock or otherwise you know, all over the movie making machine, you know, setting up new universes, shedding, setting up new IP. Um, but man, the formula was so flawlessly executed. I enjoyed a lot. Uh, I don't think the movie stands up to a lot of scrutiny, and I think that we will scrutinize it. Uh, so a lot to touch on. What were your general thoughts? Um, I thought it was a train wreck of gasoline and fireworks. Um, I think it was a lot of fun. It was a good ride. Um, you know, uh, flames and, and fireworks are, are fun to watch, but ultimately I thought it was quite possibly the sloppiest of the MCU movies that has been created so far. Um, and that really kind of took me out of the movie as a whole. Um, 
I think to kind of I'm very curious to know your definition of sloppy, which I know we'll get into in the five points, but that's an interesting word that you chose. Yeah, it gave me gave me some weird reminiscence of some things that some other blockbusters in the recent like decade or two have done that I just I could not stand. And, you know, this movie manages to take things that I almost were deal breakers for other or deal breakers for other movies and it still manages to make a movie that I was entertained and enjoyed watching. But like it gave me some Iron Man two vibes where like this movie felt like a lot of it was a springboard for other IPs and franchises and what where Marvel's going with magic and shit like that. I got some last Jedi vibes where I felt like it couldn't commit to its own themes and what it was trying to do. Um mainly around teamwork. I'm sure we'll get into that. Uh, I got a little uh, sprinklings of some Batman versus Superman with a, what I've deemed for now going forward a Martha moment where I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Um, especially with like, I thought we, what I loved about this Spider-Man trilogy is that we decided that we were not going to tell Spider-Man's origin story. And yet we still managed to, much like Batman versus Superman, decide to go back and tell Spider-Man's origin story. Be it not necessarily the traditional one, like we didn't show him getting bit by the spider, but we had to go back and do the Uncle Ben death moment. And I'm just like, I completely rolled my eyes. And I was like, it's a beautiful scene, fucking well acted, great shots. But I still rolled my eyes because I was like, I thought we were past this. I didn't think I was going to have to watch this in the MCU Spider-Man franchise. Oh, oh, I disagree. Um, I'm curious, does this fit into one of the five points or should we kind of hodgepodge and I'll get into that part now? Uh, if you want to get into it now, I think, I mean, it'll probably fall into with great power because uh, the the anticipation or what to me, that was all that was like with great power comes great responsibility. And that was they had a lot going for them in this movie. And I felt like they just kind of wielded that power in in a very careless way and wound up making just a really like i said sloppy sloppy mcu movie are you referring specifically to the ant may death no no no, no. you just, call that the, sloppy to the movie as a whole the the reason i say that sloppy is that death to me was supposed to spark the whole spider-man has to learn the you know sacrifice and that lesson and it's supposed to What's weird is Uncle Ben dying in the comics and in the other movies was basically a lesson for Spider-Man to realize that doing nothing would cost you. Like, not doing anything has its own consequences. So, like, he had an opportunity to stop Uncle Ben's killer. He didn't, and then Uncle Ben got killed. So, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. The way they shoehorn it into this movie... Peter Parker has already learned that lesson. Be it, you know, he's already kind of been a superhero. He watched, you know... Iron Man died, and even to that point, Aunt May dying was a result of him trying to help out. It was basically he was trying to help, and Green Goblin comes back out and fucks the whole thing up. Like, the way he, the lesson he's learning there isn't actually the lesson that he's supposed to be learning because that was already taken care of in previous installments. The death itself, I thought, was fantastic. Again, I that was one of the, the emotional impact of that scene was amazing, and it actually, I think, caused issues later in the movie when they tried to bring up emotional impact and it's like you're not like that scene was so good you can't live up to that again and you gave it to me now so now all of the other deaths are almost deaths in the movie don't carry in a lot of weight to them because i've already watched the aunt may death am i am i wrong in or not wrong in that but do you have a different opinion Uh, well 
let me first speak as a cynical moviegoer because I am mm. no longer the the person who watched Spider-Man 2 with you in a reserve row in a theater. I I can't help but see the meta part and how they're setting up universes and future franchises. And I remember when Batman uh, versus Superman came out, or what, whichever the first Ben Affleck Batman was, where we're going to show Martha getting killed again. And everybody rolled their eyes at that, and, and justly so. You can't start every superhero franchise with their tragedy. I think from both a storytelling standpoint and a capitalism marketability standpoint, they were pretty brilliant in having May not fulfill that standard Spider-Man origin story role until the end of the first trilogy. Um, because sloppy to me is all the magic in this movie and we'll get to that later. But I think the movie as it ends sets up the Spider-Man traditional franchise that we expect well, and again, from a cynical cash grab standpoint, they've cashed God knows how many checks off of Tom Holland's trilogy already. And now we're just moving into what Tobey Maguire did, you know, 20 plus years ago. Yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, that'll probably get into reset or reboot territory there. But I just I still feel like Aunt May dying in the third installment. Peter has already dealt with like losing that sacrifice, right? Because he dealt with essentially Tony Stark died at the end of Endgame. Um, the whole second, and maybe that's a, a little bit of the problem is like you hadn't seen the second one of these, the one with Mysterio, um, Far From Home, because a lot of that movie is him dealing with the death of Tony Stark and the fallout of that, and him having to try and find a you know his purpose and like his mentor is gone. So for us to do it essentially again with aunt may it was just one of those like why i thought we were gonna do this a little bit differently but it just feels like we're going back and we're going back into that laziness right oh well we're gonna kill off aunt may and that's gonna somehow spin him off where you know he winds up almost killing green goblin like he has to learn that that self-control and even that scene i thought was absolutely ridiculous but uh, did you want to tell any more about uh, Aunt May before I go into Tobey Maguire uh, and him uh, intervening? No, I, I just, from, from a cynical standpoint, I think it was smart to avoid the pitfalls of other franchises where you immediately kill off the mother or father figure. For better or worse, this franchise was able to milk Aunt May for three movies before delivering the ultimate emotional payload of, hey, now he's lost this this close relative. So mm-hmm. uh, continue with Toby, please. So, and going with that, so later in the movie, you have Spider-Man Tom Holland is squaring off against Green Goblin because Green Goblin was responsible for killing Aunt May. So like, he's going to beat the shit out of him. He's about to kill Green Goblin, right? And he's been warned already but in the Martha moment, which the Martha moment was, Oh my, when Tom Holland goes, and the last thing my aunt told me was with great response or great power. And then Toby finishes it comes great responsibility. And they have that. Oh, your mom's name is Martha too. Oh my God. My uncle Ben told me the same thing. I'm like, Oh, for fuck's sake. Are we really going to do a Martha moment right now? We're like, that's, that's how our characters are going to connect is <laughs> over this fucking line. But to, to, to fast forward a little bit. Oh, I, I have to stop you, Brad. 
So you don't you don't agree that that was an eye roll moment for you? Not at all. Oh, Not I totally all. I totally rolled my eyes. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake! I, I think you're being too meta. This movie was too meta, dude. This movie was oh. too meta. No, I'm something of a scientist myself. I don't I don't know <laughs> if you know that, Brad. Fucking. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, I agree. At times it was too meta. In that particular instance, though, it made sense to me. I mean, Brett, if you if you met, much like our Open, if you met Brett 2 from a different universe and you had some sort of overlapping experience, what better connects people than some sort of commonality? And this is literally an alternate reality version of yourself. So to me, it makes sense that they would all arrive at that same sort of conclusion. My, my problem is the um, commonality. Again, I'm bouncing around. I'm sorry. Oh, we're going to bounce Garfield around a lot. On this saving one. MJ. Yeah. Okay. So that goes into I actually in kind of enjoyed that because that was giving closure. Oddly enough. This movie gave closure to the Toby franchise and the Garfield franchise, which the Garfield franchise was cut short. So do you know anything about him saving MJ, why that was relevant? Uh, yeah, I mean, I know Gwen Stacy. He's not able to save her both in the movie and the comics. Uh, and I watched the the death of Gwen Stacy to kind of understand the context of that a little bit more. So, yeah, that was interesting because, again, it, it gave him his redemption moment where he was actually able to save, you know, Spider-Man's love interest. So that was cool. And then Toby being able to save the Green Goblin, even though, again, I thought that was a weird scene because, again, I think it takes a little bit away from Tom Holland because Tom Holland's Spider-Man, it's not like he came to the realization like that classic scene where like he's about to stab green goblin and then he's like you know what no this is wrong like oh i remember what aunt may said or i remember like i'm not gonna do this instead toby mcguire's spider-man intervenes and stops him because i'm like okay tom holland would have definitely killed him the way that it was shot so like he doesn't get that moment where he gets to kind of come to his senses it did give toby mcguire's character an opportunity to redeem himself because he was able to now save green goblin which he wasn't able to do in his franchise I thought him, as soon as he stood between him, I'm like, oh, shit, he's about to get stabbed. Because, again, that's, I mean, you frame that shot, that's what's about to happen. I thought him getting stabbed had no consequence, though. Like, they tried to make it an emotional moment, like, oh, my God, is Toby going to make it? But then basically, like, kind of... It goes to a joke. It goes to a joke. I've been stabbed which, before. Yeah, it cuts the tension and then completely takes that whole moment away where it's like, oh, I guess, I guess that isn't that big of a deal. Why did we need to stab him then like if you weren't going to do more with the stabbing i thought that was a very weird choice as well i think it's just like uh we don't have any other way for tom holland to talk to green goblin unless uh he literally stabs him and, and knocks toby out of the way it's like well couldn't couldn't toby just have moved and let tom holland spider-man kind of have his conversation with green goblin again it's just a weird thing where i'm like well, I don't think we had to go the generic route of stabbing him. Like, I would have been more surprised if he didn't get stabbed. And I was like, oh, shit, okay, he got stabbed. Well, I think to go any further in that would move us to the, the reset, reboot conversation. Mm -hmm. So put a pin in that, because I do want to talk about Toby getting stabbed there. Yeah, um, to kind of to, to, to fill out some of my other notes that I, I did have about with great power is just... Um, I felt that Peter, Prime Peter, Tom Holland's Peter, did not have much of a story arc in this movie. Um, especially, I think he almost had a reverse story arc. 
And that goes back to kind of my thing about the last year. Like, so much of this movie was about, oh, he has a team. He works with a team. He's got people he cares about that helps him from the very beginning. Like, when he he makes the decision to try and have people remember who he is, and MJ tells him, like, it's cool, I understand why you did that, but, like, we're a group. Like, we can try and make those decisions together. And then at the end of the, he's like, yeah, I totally agree. We're a group. We'll do that. And then at the end of the movie, he once again makes his own decision. He doesn't consort the group. He just once again does his own thing. And then it goes back to when the Spider-Men aren't able to do anything together. He's like, don't worry. I've been part of a team. I've been part of the Avengers. Oh, you know, it's all about teamwork and people working together. That's how we get through this. And then at the end of the movie, Spider-Man's all alone. And I'm just like, it's another one of those where I'm like, I feel like it doesn't stay true to the themes it's trying to stick with. It's just a matter of, again, putting a pin in it for the reset reboot conversation. But it's essentially going towards that where it's just like they don't know what they're actually trying to do with this movie. Yeah, I, I don't know. Can we dance around the, the reset reboot? Let's let's just I will topic. go ahead and jump into it. Yeah. So essentially reset reboot. I'm like to me. This is in a day and age where we are doing soft reboots. Um, we're doing reboots with the same ca casting because we decided to throw Daredevil from Netflix. And on the Hawkeye Disney Plus series, we've thrown Vincent. Um, what's his face? Vincent uh, D'Onofrio. He's reprising his role as Kingpin. But neither one of them are the characters we saw in the Netflix. So it's like they're playing the same character. It's the same casting. They're playing the character the same way, but it technically we're rebooting the character. So I'm like, at this point, is this just another weird version of resetting and rebooting Spider-Man where it's like, oh, in the MCU, we introduced him as a, you know, a international kind of hero. But Spider-Man was always supposed to be your quote unquote friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. So we're resetting to get him back to a ground level hero, right? Yeah, that's 100% what they're doing. Which, again, I think um, is I weird for, because it's like, okay, so, again, our, our motivation well, is basically weird, we're rebooting. Well, let me, let it, me clarify. Weird from a narrative standpoint or yes. weird from a business-making decision it's standpoint? Narrative. Narrative, which is most of my problems with this movie is narrative. I, I mean, I agree, but are you not – conditioned at this point to go into a marvel movie and expect that it's going to be 40 percent narrative and 60 percent commerce and setting up the next thing i yes but i feel like this movie was like 10 percent narrative like and uh, i'll go heavy into it with the the i hate magic section but like i just felt like this movie at the end of the day, meant nothing. I don't feel like there was any real character development. Or like I again, going back to the, we'll get into the whole meta, but like to the point where there's a, a scene where Tom Holland Spider Man Peter Parker is talking to MJ over like FaceTime with Happy Hogan, and Happy kills the conversation and literally says something along the lines of, "There's no development going on here. This isn't building. Just wrap it up and end it." And I'm like, "Holy fucking shit! They're a little on the nose with some of this stuff, aren't they? Like, what the point was? What was the point of having this scene if that's the way you want to end the scene? Is like this scene meant nothing. We're not building or doing anything." Yeah. Again, reset, reboot. This movie is trying to be fan service while serving as a jumping off point to two different film studios. This is setting up Sony. I mean, look, I don't think there's any debate. 
Sony wants to bring Andrew Garfield back as Spider-Man. Do you disagree? Uh, I don't. And there had been some stories about how they had wanted to do that third movie. And basically Kevin Feig was the one who put, who put a, a nail in it. It was like the final is like, you're not doing a Like we're doing our Spider-Man. You're not doing another Spider-Man movie. And like this, this movie, I think my biggest thing was like, it felt out of character for an MCU movie. It felt like Tony or so that's not Tony. Sony got very involved and it felt like Sony got very, because it felt very Sony fied to me. And I guess it goes back to the like dark Knight rises where I don't know. I've never, I haven't really gone back and watched it. I don't know if dark Knight rises as bad a movie as I think it is, or I just disdain it because it was the Nolan's, kind of phoning it in because they had to do it. And that's what this movie feels like to me is like a lot of it was just phoned in because this was okay. Marvel's like, we still want to use Spider-Man in some of those properties. Sony wants to do this. This is the only way we can come to an agreement. So we're going to make this movie and like, we're going to let them be more involved because we're going to be quote unquote team players. And it just shows because I feel like a lot of the Marvel sheen and shine has has not been applied to it. And it's still a very rough cut of what this movie should have been. Interesting. It Literally in my notes, I talk about how Sony has benefited from getting some secondhand Marvel shine. To me, this feels like if you get into the business of Hollywood – Sony allowed Disney to use Spider-Man and Sony would get a healthy cut of the box office of those movies, but then merchandising everything other than the movie itself, that's pure profit for Disney. At a certain point, the chickens have to come home to roost where Sony's like, hey, we have to use your prestige and your pool to kind of relaunch our comic book franchise, which is Spider-Man. And so I had a lowered expectation going in because I knew behind the scenes that was the business side of making this movie, but I thought they did it as well as they could. So maybe that's damning with faint praise. It feels like you're trying to hold on to a more pure narrative, and I just think that's that ship has sailed long ago. Yeah, and I guess a, a great example was the the Tom Hardy Venom mid credit scene because basically Sony and Marvel hyped up, oh my God, you know, Venom and Tom Hardy, they're going to come into the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe because at the end of that movie, he gets teleported into the MCU. And it was such a letdown because he never shows up in the movie until the end of the mid credit scene. And it's basically him trying to wrap his head around events of the mcu and then immediately being transported back to his universe and then leaving behind a piece of venom and i'm like that's how we're going to introduce venom into the mcu is another weird decision to me narratively but like again it's just one of these like i don't so much of this movie just to me does not make sense and again it goes back to it it's not the caliber i expect from the mcu Especially when you see, you know, we try and view, avoid reviews and stuff like that. But when you see like, oh, my God, the best live action Spider-Man movie ever made or it's so fantastic. And all that, I go into it. And I'm like, it's not like it's entertaining. I will say that from I did. I was thoroughly entertained by the movie. But as a person who loves narrative, I could not have been more disappointed with what this movie does. And I think a lot of that goes into 
Um, let's go into I Hate Magic because I think it's a good transition. And then, you know, we can talk about some more because I think the Web Slingers, I think, is going to be a positive section. I think Villain or Villout is going to be a, a mixed bag. But the I Hate Magic section, I think, is the ultimate is the ultimate villain of this movie um, because it is so poorly used. Um, well, yeah, I've got several questions regarding magic in this movie. So can, can I lead off with one? Absolutely. Is Dr. Strange good at magic or is he not? He is supposed to essentially be the Sorcerer Supreme. He's supposed to be the best at magic. That's what I thought. So, but as depicted in this movie, he fucks up a spell because a teenager is is talking to him mm -hmm. as he casts the spell. And then later on, going against the same high school student, he takes the high school student into a different dimension. And there's literally a line talking about you know, geometry trumps magic, essentially, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, so the, the, the Avenger that is supposed to be a sorcerer and a master of magic is bested by a kid who's really good at geometry. What is the power set for Dr. Strange? I would also argue this movie suggests that they're unlimited is Dr. Strange's power set. And it's essentially his arrogance is what winds up besting him in the mirror zone because he thinks he has complete control until Peter is able to kind of, you know, figure out that it's just, yeah, it's it's simple geometry and stuff like that. And he's able to do that. So his arrogance is to me is what gets him caught in that. Um, OK, well, uh, let me ask another question. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry, who's Peter Parker's friend with MJ? Who's Ned. the guy friend in the Ned? Ned. So Ned can put on some jewelry and just do the same shit Doctor Strange does? So this is the interesting, and I will say this is one thing I do love about the MCU, is the MCU is pretty good about breadcrumbs. Like, they lead you, like... Wait, let Ned, me guess. He's going to be another superhero. Well, the fact that when the first time Ned winds up in the Sanctum Saporium or whatever the, it's called, the Doctor Strange's home... And makes the comment about like, oh, my Nana says that we've got magic in our blood. And then it's like later he's able to do magic. I'm like, okay, they at least established a throwaway line at some point in the movie where like, okay, when it happens later, I'm not completely thrown out. The interesting thing about Ned, all right, is I think his character's name is Ned Leeds. And in the comic book, Ned Leeds is actually the Hobgoblin who comes after Green Goblin. He's kind of in a, He uses all the same technology, has a slightly it's different costume. Guy. Yeah, he's another pumpkin guy, all right? So he's another version of the Green Goblin after Norman Osborn dies. So it's interesting to see where they're going to go with that because, again, when I talk about how meta this movie was, there's a lot that I bet you don't get. So, like, when Ned makes the comment to Peter that, don't worry, he's not going to become an evil villain best friend, and then he's going to have to kill him or anything like that, it's funny he says that because in the comics, Ned is does become one of a go does become a hobgoblin, and Peter does have to fight him. So it's one of those like, it's funny because they again they are it's a it's a wink at the camera, um, for 
for the diehard fans and stuff like that. Again, being super meta in this movie. So, yes, they've now established that Ned has some level of magic in him. And not only that, that's, that essentially Doctor Strange was impressed by his ability to summon a, a you know, a portal. Okay, that that's fair enough. I guess that's an Easter egg at the very least. Um, but to that point, he doesn't, he's not a sorcerer in the comics. So this is going to be where the MCU, I think, is going to possibly take it in another direction. I will say I am concerned with where they're going with magic because magic seems like it is just a crazy MacGuffin that they can do anything with. Like even with Tony and I realize when you write movies, you can make whatever you want happen and all that. But like at least Tony had an arc reactor with a certain level of power or, you know, there was limits to what everybody could do. Like, oh, it'll be drained down or like, Ant-Man only has so many pin particle things to let himself grow and shrink. And if he runs out of them, he can't do it anymore. Like there's there's a limit. Right. And it also creates some. A certain level of tension. Stakes. Yeah, stakes, exactly. At a certain point, Doctor Strange creates the spell, and then that Peter fucks up, right? And he's able to contain it. My impression was they had to go to that space because he mentions about it having, like, old walls. Like, I thought that that was an area like, oh, magic is amplified in this moment. Later in the movie, he does an even more powerful spell on top of the Statue of Liberty, which, mind you, has the ability to wipe the memory of everybody not just on earth because you have to remember there are people in the in the universe the galaxy that know that peter parker is is spider-man he has the ability to wipe a universe's memory of peter parker's existence or even then multiverse because that was the whole thing is now all of the other people in the multiverse don't know peter parker is spider-man so he has this infinite power that apparently he doesn't have to have any kind of special runes or anything like that that amplifies his power he can just simply do it right um, at some point, somehow he came from the Mirror Grand Canyon because that's where he wound up being all the way back to New York City in what a day. So it's just this weird things where it's like all of a sudden magic is like there's no limit to it. And my fear is you're starting to get into a Superman situation in which the only thing that Superman can fight with any stakes is another Superman. It's another person who has Superman's exact powers because They've made him so strong that nothing else is a threat to him, right? Especially once you take, you know, at a certain point, he can even withstand kryptonite, which used to be his quote-unquote, you know, haha, kryptonite. Even that, he, he can overcome and stuff like that. So, like, when you get to a point where, like, Doctor Strange is, the only thing that threatens Doctor Strange is another Doctor Strange, which, if you stayed for the end credit trailer, um, that's what they're implying. It gets to a very bad, or a very dangerous moment to me and and especially in mcu because now it means that he's inept you know what i'm trying to say he's all powerful and nothing else can can stand in his way so it takes away stakes from anything going forward yeah no i i agree with that I, i i just feel like that's the direction this was always going to go so if like even going back to you know, 1989's Batman, it was just Michael Keaton versus Jack Nicholson. And by the end, when that particular franchise ran its course and then we reboot to Christian Bale, you've got, you know, Mr. Freeze, you've got Bane, you've got you've got five villains per movie. That's the only reason why I appreciated them trying to reboot Spider-Man into more of a a street-level hero, your friendly Mm. neighborhood Spider-Man, because 
the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole, once you introduce space and galactic beings, it, it's hard to define stakes. Yeah. Um, but I say, will say, so from what I know, originally this movie was not going to be multiverse. It was supposed to be... Um, Oh my god, I just forgot his name. Craven the Hunter was going to be hunting Spider-Man. And to me, that's the other problem I had with this movie, is when you ended Far From Home, it, the reveal was Spider-Man's identity. And to that point, Spider-Man is the only person with a secret identity in the MCU. Every other hero, everybody knows what their identity is. So my thought was going to be, oh my god, this is going to be a crazy awesome thing. Like It was almost going to be like The Fugitive to me. Is if you had the Craven movie, because it would have been Craven the Hunter trying to hunt down Spider Man as Spider Man is trying to prove his innocence that he didn't kill Mysterio. And then, like, oh, it'd be awesome at the end of the movie, you find out Mysterio faked his death. And it sets up, like, if you want to do a Sinister Six or something like that, but it clears Spider Man's name. Everyone knows his identity, but everyone always knew their identity, like everyone's identity in the MCU. That's been one of the interesting things about the MCU is like there were no secret identities identities like everyone knows everyone with the exception of peter parker um and even with it's like oh yeah but he's a kid you know having a cigar but he was a kid but now he's going into college and he's starting to get into that area where it's like he's starting to become a young adult where like the secret identity thing isn't gonna really pan out um but yeah it just to me very very interesting where they decided to go with the whole multiverse thing well, it makes me wonder if the original plan was not this, when did plans change? Do you think that's pandemic related? Honestly, this is what I think the plans changed, Travis. Sony released Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was an animated movie, which is, if I'm being honest, my favorite Spider-Man movie. If we're just saying Spider-Man movies, period, we don't have to say live action. It is by far the best. Like, narratively, tone, um, style-wise, like it is an absolutely just fantastic movie. That movie came out and introduced the multiverse and was widely accepted by critics and audiences. And I think when Marvel saw that, they saw an opportunity that and that they could do that as well. And it would help transition into Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness. Because I think, again, magic is a hard concept for people to understand. And even apparently the writers at Marvel, so they're trying to get people primed and ready for magic right um and i think that's i mean i've not that's seen where the, the change into the multiverse is that is that how it occurs in that movie is it magic it's not and the problem is travis it goes back to what we say before when you watch a movie and all you can think about is how somebody did it better that is spider-man no way home versus spider-man into the spider-verse because spider-man into the spider-verse did it so well it is such a solid contained movie it introduces you to the spider-verse it introduces you to multiple spider people um across very differing timelines and backgrounds even to the point where like not everyone had an uncle ben um it's just an absolutely fantastic movie it winds up being um a a villain excuse me a villain winds up like using uh the hydron collider or whatever it is and basically rip open to tear and even that the motivation why they're trying to do that makes a lot more sense like I, I highly recommend if you're looking for a multiverse movie that is it is it's so good it is so 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 very good and that's my promise after watching that and then coming and watching marvel's 
into the spider or basically yeah, their version there the um no way home i'm like you saw how somebody did it super super well and then somehow made a shitty version of that yeah i mean clearly i think that's the line of delineation between us why i enjoyed this movie more because i haven't seen into the spider verse but at the same time marvel slash disney they're working on something that has much more constraints to it because you have to build into these other franchises and i i guess ultimately going into this movie i had already resigned myself to hey this is going to be future world building let's see how they can pull it off Mm -hmm. so having not seen spider-verse and already lowering my expectations because I know it's about the IP. That's why I think this is more successful than than you do necessarily. Yeah, and I know that I'm uh, I'm one of those like logic killers where like I start thinking about a movie and the more I think about it and the less it makes sense, the more I despise it. Like here's a here's a uh, a key example of how I think this movie was sloppy and I hate the how they used magic. So the whole purpose is all of these villains are brought in from different timelines. The because uh, from their, their own universes, because they all know that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. Like that's their the commonality behind it. So we have three different villains from Tobey Maguire's universe, all from varying different timelines. And we have two villains from Garfield's universe, right? And the whole thing is they get brought in from different times. We establish that Doc Ock knows that Harry Osborn, or uh, not Harry, sorry, um, Osborne died, right? Norman. Norman died. So we know that they under they they have become from different time parts, different pieces of the timeline, but it's all the same timeline, right? So the whole thing is that Holland Spider-Man decides that he can rehabilitate and fix all of the villains and then send them back so they don't have to die. First problem is they still, at the point that they learned who Peter Parker was, still committed all of their atrocities. They're going back criminals. They're going back murderers, all right? So, yes, you fixed them and rehabilitated and then made them good people again. They still have to go back and answer for their crimes. They, I mean, in many of these cases, they murdered people or, again, robbed banks. Like, they're not innocent men going back to their universes. They're going back to face their crime, to face the, the results of their crime. In addition to that... Because some of the, you have the butterfly effect, if Norman goes back and is never killed, that's going to influence what happens with Doc Ock and Sandman becoming who they are because there's a ripple effect. And the same thing with Garfield. At the point where the, you know, lizard goes back and is human, that's going to change what happened in that universe. And then to that point, what happens to those Spider-Men? Okay, so now they've gone back. Toby never sees the goblin die. He never has to deal with the consequences of that when he's building into who he becomes later on in life because both of the Spider-Men came after they defeated all of those people. And they, they, you know, hell, Toby had lived an entire, you know, 30 years with MJ. So I'm like, at this point, I'm like, this literally doesn't make any sense the way that they resolved any of this because it's not like, oh, like a throwaway line is used like Peter... Yes, you rehabilitated them, but realize when they go back to their timeline, they'll go back to the moment and who they were at that at that time. It's like if they go back rehabilitated, they still did all of the awful things they did because it's not like you took them out at the beginning when they became a villain. You took them out of their timeline after they had committed 
everything they had done. And I guess, again, that's where my brain goes. I'm like, it's sloppy because none of this makes any sense. And when you start thinking about the arcs and what happened to the characters, I'm like, there's, and I guess, again, when it goes back to Ryan Johnson, not sticking with their themes, Dr. Strange makes a comment about like, there's consequences to what you do, right? Everything you do is going to have a consequence. And even to that point, when Holland is trying to save everybody and the lizard, basically he escapes and starts beating the shit out of him and says, oh, see, everything you do has consequences. But then at the end of the movie, we decide not to consider the consequences of rehabilitating these people, you know, or okay, yes, you've rehabilitated, but now you're sending them back into their timelines, knowing that a multiverse exists. Like you don't think that's going to impact what happened. Like there's just so much of a cascading effect that we just like our expectation is okay. Suspension of disbelief. Forget all of the What just happened happened. Right. And that's again, where I fall into problems where I say that this is a sloppy movie because at a certain point they just didn't give a shit about the implication of their own actions. I think it was willful ignorance because, again, you have two different studios trying to, in Marvel's case, continue this, you know, quote unquote, great cinematic universe. And then you have Sony saying, hey, we've got an opportunity. We had a hit with Venom. We can start our own kind of multiverse. And the narrative movie is the sacrificial lamb of that which brings um, so us back yeah, to Iron Man 2. <laughs> it's expectations. If you expected a pure narrative film, you're going to be severely disappointed. And I guess I might benefit, Brad, I don't know if you would agree with this. I'm at the point where I sporadically watch Marvel movies. Um, I didn't see Spider-Man 2. I think the last Marvel movie I saw was Endgame. I was pretty underwhelmed by that. I think there's almost a benefit of kind of jetpacking in and out of, of the Marvel cinematic universe. Cause if you watch all of them, the continuity just becomes such a problem to me. Yeah. And I think that was, I had admitted, admittedly kind of taken a bit of a break after Endgame Cause it's like, okay, like I love what we did. Like, it's amazing that you pulled that off now. Like I don't need to watch us try and do it all over again. Like it was impressive. So, like, I had taken a break, but at this point, I think the only... I've gone back now that they've started getting on Disney+. Plus and all, and I think the only one I haven't watched is Eternals, which I've heard that that one... That's one where they tried to really break the formula and, I guess, was not reviewed particularly well. But, like, I, I'm still interested to see what goes on with that. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I just... Again, I guess it comes down to I just... I expected more from the studio that brought us all that other stuff. And I understand... This they went into this movie knowing exactly what they want. Like there were key points they wanted to do. We need to bring Spider-Man back down to a local hero. We don't want him doing international stuff. Uh, we need to kind of conclude some stories. Um, we want to introduce, you know, more of the the magic side of things and get people more prepared for that with what we're going to do with the multiverse of madness. And obviously we want to make some some big bucks off of this i just like i said at the end of the day i just i was very disappointed with the execution of of what they did that's again well, not to say i didn't enjoy the movie i just had such high 
like it was one of those again when we were talking about like marveled out and stuff like that i I was pretty marveled out but i saw the trailer for this i was like you know what i think they're gonna do something cool with this movie i i think i actually want to see this one in theaters and i just i i was not impressed with what i left with well i'm curious um because we've discussed on previous podcasts we do not go into what our, our five points of inspection are as far mm-hmm. as the details beyond the title villain or vill out. What, what do you have there? I just wanted to, to kind of dive into the villains and maybe some of their motivations and their performances. Uh, what really came to mind with this is, you know, I, I tried to do as minimal expectations going into this movie. Like I didn't want to watch a lot of trailers or interviews, but like there was one that caught me. And it was uh, essentially a headline talking about why some of these people decided to come back and reprise their roles. And one of the things that Willem Dafoe said was that he he liked that Green Goblin actually had some motivation and that he wasn't just a mustache-twirling villain. And after watching the movie, I don't know if Willem Dafoe knows what a mustache-twirling villain is because I felt Green Goblin pretty much fell right back into that mustache like it's all about who's the strongest i'm like oh just that's pretty much what most villains want they want to be the most powerful like i wasn't quite sure i loved his performance i just wasn't quite sure and maybe i just missed it and you got you have something you can add to but like i didn't see he had a whole lot of motivations other than the fact that he was essentially schizophrenic and norman osborne wanted to kind of like fix himself but green goblin got a hold of him again yeah, I mean, I think that's the only way that you could not describe this character as mustache twirling again. I don't want to do the legwork for Marvel because I don't think it's presented on screen. But like, yeah, it's portrayed that he's got some mental illness, some schizophrenia. And yeah, if you're dropped into an alternate universe, I can imagine that being very traumatic for a person who is already unstable. But ultimately, it still comes down to, hey, he's got an alter ego, which is a Green Goblin, and he's a megalomaniac, and that's going to kick off our plot. So as much shine and sheen and icing you want to put onto it, it's still, like you said, a a mustache-twirling villain. You can just kind of glaze on that. Oh, it's it's a picture of mental health. Yeah, and I, I could, but I could have sworn, and it's been a long time since I've seen the original Spider-Man, but I, I thought they kind of tackled some of that in the original, but I wasn't sure if, like, they were trying to go with a weird, like, you know, dark mirror version where it's like, oh, with great power comes great responsibility. Essentially, this cast is four corrupted scientists who reluctantly become villains and a petty thief who actually has probably the best moral code of the, of the five of them and essentially once they became powerful beings were completely corrupted by that. And I'm like, I don't know if that's what we're trying to go with because essentially, you know, you've got Doc Ock was a brilliant scientist and his, the, you know, inhibitor chip or prohibitor chip or whatever breaks. And then the voices in his head, again, almost schizophrenia again, take over and turns him bad. Uh, then, you know, Green Goblin, same thing, essentially kind of schizophrenic. And he has an alternate personality that is obsessed with becoming the, the strongest or most powerful you have Jamie Foxx's Electro, which, you know, social anxiety and, you know, maybe some some mental issues there um, that, that comes up in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And ultimately he becomes, you know, he just essentially just becomes Jamie Foxx in this movie um, when he becomes very powerful. 
Uh, and then I don't know much about the lizard, but it's again, it's another one of those things where suddenly he becomes a lizard monster and he is now, you know, his mind becomes corrupted. So, again, I wasn't sure if they were just kind of lazily trying to do that or haphazardly or maybe that's me trying to stretch it to make it a little bit more than what it is. But at, at the end of the day, you know, it, it's just very interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, in truth, I think it just happens to be a byproduct of the Spider-Man's rogues gallery. He's kind of a science nerd, high school student. So a lot of his opponents are doctors in their own right. Hmm. Um, but I mean, in terms of performances, I, I thought Willem Dafoe was a lot of fun. I mean, he got to play crazy, which was fun to see him on screen. I loved some of the interactions between the villains, uh, particularly Jamie Foxx. I know basically they just turned him into a, a one-liner quit making machine, but a lot of the stuff he had to say, I, I legitimately laughed at in the movie. Like when him and Sandman are sharing their, their origins, I, it did give me a good chuckle and it's like, man, I, I became electro when I fell into a vat of electric eels. They were, you know, experimenting to create electricity and organic matter. And Sandman's like, well, I fell into a hole with a hydron collider and Jamie Voss just goes, man, you really got to watch what kind of holes you fall into. I was like, man, that's actually like, again, being very meta, but pretty fucking funny. Um, when he's talking to Garfield at the end and he goes, man, I just, I really thought, I thought you were going to be black. You know, somewhere out there, there's got to be a black Spider-Man. Again, very meta because End of the Spider-Verse is about Miles Morales, who is a black Spider-Man. Yeah, you're, you're from Queens. You help yeah. poor people. I thought like, you'd okay. be black. Yeah, again, wink at the camera, like another meta, ver you know, another very meta reference there. Like, oh, okay, you know, there's got to be a black Spider-Man out there. I'm like, okay, there is. We know that there's a black Spider-Man out there. Um, but yeah, weird, weird stuff. Like, and even then, they well, kind. Can I mention one more thing? Uh huh. Doc Ock in this movie. Number one, I love seeing Alfred Molina back again. Going back to the movie that we watched in 2004, mm -hmm. it felt like he stepped out of Spider-Man Two and went right into this. Like he nailed the performance again. It also made me think, though, the, the kind of relationship he had with both Peters. I would like to call him my octopus teacher. <laughs> God like, bless I feel like it. he had the kind of the teacher vibe over Peter. Well, he was. I mean, even in like in the comics, he was a mentor to Peter before he wound up going crazy. Which, I mean, with limited screen time in this movie, I thought that vibe was nailed. Like, I love Doc Ock in this movie. I was so happy. I knew it was coming. It was not surprising in the least. But when he is on our hero's side at the end, I was like, yes, that's that's what I needed as a counterweight to Willem Dafoe. So I agree. My my prediction going into the movie, I wasn't far off, was that the Iron Man, Iron Spider suit was going to take over the tentacles and that the AI in his Iron Spider suit was basically going to fix where the AI and his tentacles broke. And I wasn't far off from it. That's essentially it's it's, you know, that happens and he kind of comes back and even to that point, like he had said that the only reason he reprised the role is because it didn't destroy his arc in the Spider-Man 2 movie. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I mean, you essentially had the same arc as a villain in this. Yeah, 100%. It, it worked. I, I Alfred Molina is not an actor that I get a chance to see a lot of, but mm -hmm. 
and the bookend I get, of 2004 Spider-Man 2 and this, it just seems perfect, at least in that one regard. And I guess that's where I go back to, is it supposed to be like the metaphor, great power, great responsibility, you know, just absolute power corrupt absolutely, because pretty much all they did was as soon as you took away all of their their super villain powers they became regular chill dudes like especially like jamie fox's electro like as soon as he couldn't shoot electric bolts like him and garfield were like bros again i'm like this is super weird it's just like yeah all you just you gotta you gotta make it to where they're not crazy powerful and all of a sudden they become all right again you know or willem dafoe when you green goblin they get him which again another weird thing they hit him with the first serum and it doesn't. Oh, that's going to be another one of my pet peeves. I'm going to get to in just a second with how sloppy this well, movie I is. I have questions about the serum. Okay, but he they hit him with the first one using Stark technology and it didn't work. And then they hit him with the second one. And it's that like whole Toby, like, you know, Toby Spider-Man. Oh, you know, I've been thinking about that for a long time. If I could have come up with something and I'm like, okay, throw away again. Marvel loves its throwaway lines. I love throwaway lines, too. I thought the movie was a little a little aggressive with how many throwaway lines they had to fix stuff, but I just want to talk about the bullshit that they were able to create five fucking antidotes for supervillains yes, in a high yes. school fucking laboratory. Like that is, that might've been the exact moment it jumped the shark for me where I'm like, this makes like, I like the interaction. The three Spider-Men talking to each other was fantastic, but the, the way that they're in a high school chem lab and are able to come up with five antidotes for very different... I'm like, this is so stupid. <laughs> yeah, I... To be honest with you, I, I missed that it was done in a high school lab because I thought this was all Stark technology that created the antidotes. And I was like, at least it's a billion dollar corporation creating it, even though it still makes no sense. When it was in Happy's apartment, yes, but they meet him on the on the roof of his high school because that's how MJ knows where he's going to be. And then oh, yes. my my jump was that they went inside the school and that's the lab they were working in because they could get into the school. And I'm just like, this is the dumbest fucking thing that they made this in a high school lab. Well, especially when you consider some of the villains that you're using this on are from different universes. Yeah. So it's like even if Stark Labs created it, I would – I would eye roll, but if you're telling me a high school lab did, yeah. like, yeah, we can fix an alligator man and a green goblin and a dude that's just made of dirt. Yeah, and I guess they're trying to be like, oh, well, they started it in Happy's apartment, though, but I'm like, they still had to repair. And they did it in, what, two or three hours <laughs> in a high school lab? I'm like, no, it would take that time just to take apart one of the, like, the Sandman reanimizer thing. Like, just to take it apart and put it together would take three hours, let alone reassembling it and making it work. <laughs> it's just like, this is so stupid. Yeah, and you know, the weird thing is, this movie reminded me of, and this will, this will be a deep cut, Brad, to a movie we reviewed before. This reminds me of 1966, The Professionals, in the sense that I was so carried away by the character interactions, especially once you get Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3, you know, Garfield and Maguire introduced. I just wanted to see character interactions and every bit of like plot and action, I kind of rolled my eyes on. 
and that's to me travis that's gonna bring us into web slingers and that's where i'm gonna say this movie i won't say won me over but that's what i was like when i'm talking about like this movie repeated some of the same like the same problems i had with a lot of other franchises that were deal killers what the mcu does do very well is characters interaction and their dialogue and i thought this movie did that flawlessly i loved watching almost every character interact in this movie it's just and it is that's that's the fun part and i think that's people who really enjoy this they're able to get past a lot of this nitpicky stuff that i've done that i'm like no the mcu is better than a lot of this stuff that they threw out there but what they're great at they perfected in this movie because holy shit did i love watch i loved watching tom holland interact with dr strange i thought there were a lot of fun quips i loved watching the villains interact with one another happy and aunt may interacting was inter- interesting to me uh, you know, I think MJ and Peter and Ned, them interacting, you know, was very, it felt real and was great. But the highlight, the highlight of the movie is the three Spider-Men. And holy crap, yes. it's it's such a shame. I'm just one of those, I'm like, do I wish it came earlier in the movie? Because is it one of those, like, would it have been able to sustain itself for that long? Or is it just they gave me just the right amount to make me just, oh, my mouth water every time I think about it? Because, like holy crap was it fantastic each one of the the peters played themselves perfectly and uniquely and then the way they reassembled together was just mm, chef's kiss that is really the pinnacle of this movie and why it still to me was is worth watching is because good lord the character interaction is fantastic yeah i don't even really know where to start I'm going to go with a very ground level assessment. I loved that Andrew Garfield was willing to sign on to do this and allow the movie to poke fun at the fact that he had the worst Spider-Man franchise of the three. Just shit all over him. Almost the entire movie. He's Peter Parker three. Uh, even when he gets announced, when they decide he's Peter Parker, and he throws his arms up. I laughed at that. I was like, oh, my God, it's so perfect. When <laughs> when they're doing the web blockage conversation and Toby is just like, no, you're and again, very meta because he was the amazing Spider-Man. But he's like, no, I want you to say like, you're an amazing Spider-Man. You're am-. I'm like, again, I, I that was one of those like laughing eye rolls where I'm like, OK, very clever because his franchise was called the Amazing Spider-Man. But I was like, at the same time, I'm like, I love that they did this. It's it was such a dad joke moment. I could not have been happier. Well, I mean, going further on the dad joke, you have Tobey Maguire with his back problems. Are you aware of all that? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, the, he literally was about to be replaced on Spider-Man 2 by Jake Gyllenhaal because he hurt his back doing uh, Seabiscuit. And then they referenced that in Spider-Man 2, which then gets referenced here. So, I yep. mean, just the ultimate fan service for somebody who has watched this franchise and all its iterations over the last 20 years. <laughs> so... So are you, did you bring your costume or are you just going to fight crime looking like, uh, like a cool, uh, a cool youth pastor, cool youth pastor that he pulls the shirt down and shows his costume. Like, Oh my God, I get everything. It was one of those. This is what this movie did was make me realize that no, all of them were great Spider-Man in their own ways. And they were all played very different. Like Tobey Maguire's was kind of that awkward Spider-Man. 
still awkward, still fantastic. Whereas Garfield was kind of the snarky, like throwing out the one-liners, played it fantastically. And I'm like, and then you have Tom Holland, who's kind of like the Amazingly. weird, yeah, the weird, insecure, naive Peter Parker. I'm like, all of them played their version of Peter Parker perfectly and just made me realize like all of them were very, like they were perfect. They were all perfect Spider-Men. All of them, like, for all of the people, like, who was the best? I'm like, I don't know at this point. Like, they were all, like, it's it's comparing apples to oranges to grapes. Like, they all played the role differently and perfectly in the way they did it, you know? Well, and it's tough to say once you watch this movie, because I think another thing that this movie has going for it, specifically for people like you and me, we get to see Peter Parker as ourself through different eras, you know, Tom Holland is still the high school era, Peter Parker. And then you've got Andrew Garfield, who is like the late thirties guy. And then you've got Tobey Maguire, who's playing him even later to life in life. So again, the it's hard to separate the meta and the behind the scenes stuff with a, just a pure narrative for a movie, mm-hmm. but they walk that tightrope very well to me. Yeah. And now we'll get back because, again, I want to give more praise at this section in the podcast. But just again, uh, just a little more touch of again, where I don't think they could agree on their theme is like the whole thing about Toby's Spider-Man talking about like, no, you know, MJ and me like it was hard, but we made it work and stuff like that. Again, it went back to not being alone because a lot of this is about Spider-Man was always alone and like, no, the MCU made him part of something more than that. I'm like, that's why even the the end of the movie didn't feel right to me because I'm like everything about this movie talked about how Peter shouldn't be alone. Peter has a team. He should be with people. And then that's where they left. us. I'm okay with him needing to re-zero him down to the ground level, but like him being left with literally nobody at the end of the movie left a bad taste in my mouth. Like he literally has no one now. Uh, You say nobody, Brett, but I think you're, you're missing the cynical marketing angle. He has somebody He's got a new lawyer. But he doesn't know that's Peter Parker either. Everybody, and that's another with the logic breaking thing. Everyone forgets who Peter Parker is. So does that mean he gets erased off of all of Barry's cell phone? Like people are going to have pictures with Peter Parker. They're going to have videos of them interacting with people. Like how did that, did that just, did they erase all existence and anything that Peter was in also went up in like flames? Like, there's moments where people are going to like, I remember this person, but like, can I not remember the, his face? Like, that's where, again, at the end where it's just like, let's forget who Peter Parker is. I thought the movie was going to end with Peter going into another universe. And that was going to be him. No Way Home is in order for him to save everybody. He had to jump into the Sony universe. And that's how Sony was going to get to play with him for a little bit and then throw him back over when Marvel needed him. Right. But that's not what they did. Instead, they end the movie with somehow every like and they try again the throwaway line he's studying for the ged because he doesn't have a high school diploma right because no one knows him like but people like you still have to have a social security number you still have to exist to take the ged like what happened to the trophy case with pictures of him as spider-man in it at the high school that they showed at the beginning like did that trophy case disappear like what happened to all of this stuff that i'm just supposed to assume like oh magic's involved so just mm, it took care of it you know, I mean, the unfortunate thing is, I think you're going to have to wait to whatever the direct sequel of this is, whether that be Sony or Marvel. But yeah, that 
I think you mentioned in a text to me off podcast, is this kind of the sweater where if you pull one thread, everything falls apart? My problem it is... It certainly I, feels like that. Yeah, my problem... Yeah, exactly. It's just, it doesn't... The narrative portion of this movie makes literally no sense. The resolution makes no sense. Like, none of it makes any sense. But again, what it does have is some fantastic character interaction. Even, you know... It made me think when Doctor Strange is talking to Wong about him not remembering the Christmas party, all I could think of was Men in Black. Like, hey, J hey, Kay, have you ever flashy thing me? Kay, Kay, you ever flashy thing me? Like, where he's used to memory wipe on his friend and stuff like that. Like, there's so much of the movie, again, watching the people interact is just, it's so entertaining to watch everybody like and that's an attestment to all of the actors and actresses that were in this movie because all of them do a fan there's nobody in this movie that i'm just like they were the weak link like they did not do even flash thompson who is irritating as a, uh, he was like that's exactly how that that character should should act and how the actor should have portrayed him like there was nothing about the character interaction that i had any issue with i just thought the movie itself was just an empty vessel to, to launch other other franchises off of. No, and that's 100% accurate, but has that not been the case for every Marvel movie of the last five years? I think every Marvel movie wanted to, like, weave themselves into that web, pun intended, but I don't think any of them were just egregious in, in terms of just ignoring everything else like again the closest thing that came to it to me was spider-man or not spider iron man 2 where iron man 2 was very clearly just designed to help launch the avengers like they make very like they reference captain america and thor and other they that's where we introduce black widow and there's so much of that movie where it's just like this is going to be a movie built for to to set up uh, you know war machine we introduced war machine like that movie was designed specifically as a springboard for other franchises that had not launched and i just there hadn't been anything that bad since like even cap their civil war captain america civil war which is by far one of my favorite marvel just marvel movies and just movie period i love that movie i wouldn't say top 10 but like i do legitimately love that movie but that movie still did a good job of establishing like they introduced black panther and you know the sokovia accord and introduced other dynamics without sacrificing of a, a narrative a story you know yeah and again i think the difference is you have two competing mm -hmm. film studios trying to independently launch yeah this was a universe yeah this so, yeah this was a movie that was created uh while mom and dad were fighting so yeah and yet i again i still think for what the constraints were they pulled it off yeah I, it will be super successful Again, the fact that it was enjoyable, like it does have its moments where like, I, I didn't leave the theater hating it. I did. I did very much enjoy this movie. I don't think I would go if I know what it was. I wouldn't have seen it in theaters. Um, I don't know if it was theater worthy, but it's definitely a movie I would watch, you know, and, and not to, to to get ahead of ourselves with the wrap up. But like, I know I'd watch it again. Like, I didn't hate it that much where I'm just like, I'm never watching this again. But it did leave me frustrated. That's fair. I I think I just came in with lower expectations than you. Mm -hmm. 
Well, if you don't have anything else to talk about there, I think we can jump into some Chop Shop. What do you think? Uh, let's do it. Mine is brief uh, because our conversation did go long like as I thought it would. But yeah, let's uh, let's move ahead. All right. Uh, as you said, mine too is also, I, I had a feeling after watching this movie, it was going to be one that we went a little long on. Uh, so I pulled comedy this week. I think you got family friendly. Um, I'll go ahead and if you want to start us off. Uh, yeah, because again, mine is just the definition of brief. Have you seen the movie Three Men and a Baby? I have. I haven't actually, but I'm familiar with it. Okay. I wanted to go with a three men and a baby uh, slash super villains hanging out at Happy Hogan's apartment. Uh, so Aunt May, she's got her like foundation to help local people slash youth. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. There was a soup kitchen that was introduced, I believe, in this movie. Yeah, there you go. So I'm thinking as an extension of that soup kitchen – it's like a boys and girls club, YMCA vibe. Well, we just happen to have these super villains hang out at uh, Happy Hogan's place. And I'm thinking my, my family friendly is to have these super villains in between, you know, the second and third act of this movie. They're just trying to help out with community kids. Um, so I'm thinking that maybe there's a baby under the care of the supervillains and you got Doc Ock using his arms to change and powder a baby. Like maybe the baby tries to take a piss in his face and he's able to maneuver one of his octopus arms in front with a diaper to block that. And then he's using another octopus arm to like throw some baby powder on the on the baby's bum. And then maybe we've got a scene with the supervillains. They're trying to relax. You know, there's some kids laying down for a nap, and they've got a, uh, a baby monitor to to monitor the situation in the other room. But Electro's powers are fucking with the baby monitor, and everybody gets kind of mad at him. Yeah, I'm almost thinking, like, Sandman could become the baby. Like, somehow when he got brought over, he got brought, like, it also, like, de-ages him, but he still has the powers. Because then you could have some <laughs> some funny like sand baby electro where like they just don't mesh very well because the baby keeps like kind of messing with electro and then Jamie Foxx can always get frustrated when he has to help with the baby because it keeps nullifying him. Well, one of my favorite scenes in this movie on just a, like a lighter comedy, you know, is when Sandman sits down on the couch and he's like apologizing for making the couch dirty and tries to sweep mm. it off. But he's all sand. <laughs> so i was thinking maybe sandman leads a group to like a playground to like clean up the trash from the playground but as much as he tries to help he's just making it dirtier um so yeah that's about all i had just a hodgepodge of you know daddy daycare but with super villains okay 
I could dig it. No, that's literally it, though, Brett. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I I got comedy as much. One day I'm going to sit down and actually write out a comedy, but I uh, knowing that we went long with this one, I just decided to kind of pull and, and do what I did with uh, The Shining, which is just highlight some scenes. And they made them. The other problem is like I found this movie very humorous, almost on you know borderline comedy, and that's a lot of times when we do the chop shop, we we intentionally pull out the genre that the movie falls into. Like this was blockbuster, so neither of us were going to do blockbuster because there's no you know you don't want to try and enhance what it already is. Uh, this movie was already pretty funny to me, so I did struggle because I felt like a lot of the moments I would have turned into comedy moments. They already kind of already did. Um, but we'll go ahead and get into it. So. Uh, one of the first ones is, you know, it gets a little slapsticky and stuff like that. But, you know, when the movie opens up and Spider-Man is revealed, uh, he swoops down to pick up MJ. But when he swims back up into frame, he's holding somebody completely different. Maybe it's like a fanboy or something like that. So he has to go back and, and actually get MJ. Uh, when Matt Murdock tells Peter that he's able to get the charges dropped, Peter, you know, thanks him. He says, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. You know, I, I thought, you know, something along the lines of, like, I, I, I'd i be going away for what I did with Mysterio and all that. And Matt stops and goes, oh, I thought we were talking about the public urination case or something like maybe not to that degree, <laughs> but like something completely unrelated. Like, oh, no, no, I just got you off to that. Like the other stuff we're going to have to work at. Not much different than what they did in this movie with Happy Hogan. So, again, that's what I'm saying. Like they would they already took a lot of the, the stuff I would have done. Um, well, yeah, I mean, not to interrupt you, but I think that's the challenge of these modern movies is they want to hodgepodge all of the mm -hmm. genres. Yep. So it really it really hurts our game. But yeah, sorry. Continue. <laughs> uh, when the Parkers enter Happy's apartment, uh, we'll canvas the living room and find a portrait of Tony, Steve Rogers, Thor and Happy. That's um, a clear ripoff of the Death Row Records portrait. <laughs> when Peter walks up and just kind of like looks at it, Happy cuts him off before he can ask a question. And Happy just goes like, pretty great, right? I had it made for Tony, but he said that I should hold on to it for safekeeping. So he has that kind of, you know, coveted. Uh, when Peter and MJ are talking, Happy is wearing uh, Iron Man pajamas, but not like pajamas that say like Iron Man, but the, they actually look like Iron Man's armor. So he's just kind of like an adult child. When the three are talking about not... Uh, getting in anywhere to MIT, uh, Peter Peter will tell them that he actually did get into a, a school. Um, that they actually, it's weird that they reached out to him, though. He didn't even apply to it, but he decided not to go there because they had, like, a weird motto, so he turned him down. And the group's going to ask, like, well, what was the what was the motto? What was it? He goes, I, I don't know. It was something about a school for gifted youngsters. Aha. Ah, right? I'm surprised they didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, when they're in the sanctum, uh, the two alkalides that we just randomly show scooping snow in the background are going to be having an increasingly aggressive or an, yeah, increasingly more aggressive snowball fight until finally it erupts into basically an avalanche of snow kind of grabbing Wong and throwing him through the portal that he was walking through. On the bridge, Peter will call Doc Ock Tarantula Man, and the two will begin to bicker about how he looks more like an octopus than a spider. And then, you know, Peter's like, well, you've got eight arms. Spiders have eight arms. I thought you were doing, like, a spider thing. And again, just the two of them will kind of get into antics about how, you know, he's not a spider. He's an octopus. Uh, when they first get captured, Doc Ock and the lizard, uh, and they're, you know, 
Doctor Strange is talking to Peter in that the dungeon. At some point, some kind of Italian plumber joke needs to come up with Strange because he got like King Koopa out of the the sewer. I couldn't quite figure out what the line should be. I just think it needs to be inserted there. Uh, when talking to the villains, at some point, Sandman needs to. <laughs> Sandman has molded himself into sandcastles, and he's just building himself into sandcastles in his confinement. Uh, when Ned gets to Peter, uh, when he starts calling the Peters, he actually does call one random Peter Parker through the portal. It's not actually a Spider-Man. When they start making the uh, the cures, one of P the Peters will ask, how does a school afford to have all of this equipment? Prime Peter or Peter One will reply that it was donated by two huge companies trying to take advantage of the school's legacy. When Electro makes the... Is that, is that Sony and Disney? Yeah, yeah, that's Sony and Disney. <laughs> trying to take advantage Beautiful. of uh, of Spider-Man. When Electro makes the, the comment about Black Spider-Man, uh, the movie will pause and the camera will pan out to Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool watching it on TV. He'll say we're getting dangerously close to breaking the fourth wall. Um, and that, uh, that he know you know, technically he knows who Pete, that Peter Parker is Spider-Man as well. Why didn't he make it into the movie? And then he'll press play and the movie will resume. When Peter is oh, saying, "Oh, Brett, God damn, that was you, you should have just went with the whole Deadpool comedy <laughs> angle there." Yeah. Uh, when Peter is saying goodbye uh, to the Peter uh, Peters, oh, when he's saying goodbye, Sarah McLaughlin's "Will You Remember Me" will start playing and will continue playing uh, through his goodbyes. I don't know why I find that song funny, especially when you play it in moments like. Maybe even one of the Peters will start singing it, like Garfield or something like that. Um, and then uh, when Peter tries to confess his love to MJ at the end, it's going to get super awkward. And uh, MJ is actually going to pepper spray him out of the donut shop, but he'll drop something that starts to trigger her memory. Uh, and at the very end, when he looks out his window... Um, he should see a giant billboard that's always going. He's always going to be facing. I just don't know what the advertisement like. Should it be for like a spider, like uh, pest service, or some kind of like, you know, the Steve Rogers musical, or or something like that? He just is something to end the movie with. Like he's always going to have to be looking at this. I don't. I don't know if this fits, but all this mention of Garfield, isn't there a spider pig? Is that a thing? Spider pig is a thing, yeah. yeah. So couldn't we have the orange cat Garfield on a billboard with a Spider-Man costume on and be like, hey, I thought this was the multiverse? All uh, this talk of Garfield and Spider-Man? Uh, I like that a lot. I think that that would be perfect. I think that's the cherry on top. Yep. So that was that was kind of some more little comedic moments that I I added into the movie. Which again, like you said, it's difficult to add comedic points to a movie that tries to make you laugh every six and a half minutes. Yep. Yep. All right, Travis. We finished up our abrupt chop shops, uh, but I think we've got a couple more segments we usually do here. Normally we would do Blue Book, but with this movie just coming out, we don't have any of those numbers, so we'll have to skip that. But we do have Tag and Title. Are you ready for Tag and Title? Absolutely. Alrighty. I couldn't decide how difficult I wanted to make this one for you. 
Uh, yeah, lots of Spider-Man options. There were, there were. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to you. All right. So here we go. Enter a universe where more than one wears the mask. It's Peter multiverses the world. Or the multiverse unleashed. Uh, multiverse unleashed is this movie. Okay. Uh, the first tagline you read is for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Okay. And then the middle is one that you created. Is one that you created. Ding, ding, ding. You got it. You nailed it. So, yep. The Multiverse Unleashed is for 2021's Spider-Man No Way Home. Enter the our Enter Universe where more than one wears the mask is into the Spider-Verse. And it's Peter Multiverses the World was my my favorite. Again, sometimes you're just too clever for your own good, Brad. <laughs> yeah, but the problem is I also won't put my, like, you know, uh, blinders on. If I have a good idea, I'm not going to throw it out just for the sake of trying to, to fuck you over. That's fair. That's fair. I couldn't decide if I wanted to go with all the multiverse references, but I felt if I didn't, it would have been too easy. So the other option was the multiverse unleashed. Uh, reality is a thing of the past and caught in this tangled web. Ooh, I, I honestly like the latter two. The one that you picked, was that the official, or did you just pick one out of the assortment of taglines for the current movie? So, no, th that was still... The Multiverse Unleashed was still uh, the Spider-Man. Reality is a Thing of the Past was 1999's The Matrix, and Caught in this Tangled ah, Web okay. was my... Caught in this Tangled Web was my alternate. So if I decided not to go the multiverse route, I had a, I had a plan B. Ooh. That... that you're making itself tough on you uh, for the Matrix next week. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll get into time capsule in a sec. Do you have a time capsule this week? I, I do. I kind of just want to talk about the state of the movies. Uh, the fact that we're rebooting something that has already been rebooted twice in, in the 2000s. But uh, you will get there. What, what else you got? Well, I thought it would be well. Let's let's go and do that. The last one I think is a good way to, to send off the the episode. So I won't I won't get into that. It was it's a special segment for our Christmas come early trilogy. Uh, so we'll hold off to that. So what's what's your time capsule? I guess my time capsule is just the phenomenon of what this specifically Spider Man franchise means to movies going forward. I mean, it's odd that we're reviewing The Matrix next week, which, again, was a franchise literally created in 1999, and we're already on the fourth movie and, I guess, the first reboot. Whereas Spider-Man, again, in 2004, you and I and our cohorts were sitting in a theater, and since then, we've already had two other actors play Spider-Man and even more if you want to count into the Spider-Verse. This is going to be a high-level question, but I mean, theatrical releases, is this all that's what's going to be going forward, in your opinion? 
Theatrical. If it does not tie to a larger franchise or a uh, you know a sequel or a reboot to previous movie IP, I'm going. Does to it get a wide release? I don't think so, and I think it's going to fall back to kind of you know Ridley Scott with was it the last duel being just a gigantic flop. I just think it's not that they don't deserve to be these big budget you know movies that that get put into theaters. I just think that going forward all of these because most of these studios have their own streaming service that they can release movies directly to i just think it's going to be one of those things where like everything's going to be a calculated risk and they all these studios know that it's got to be these gigantic movies are going to be what makes them money you know especially if, if they continue this experiment and find out that the streaming actually makes them more which i'd love to know the actuary who figures that out because how do you figure out how much it costs for all of the streaming and you divide that money up so you're making profit and original content. But again, at the same time, it's just going back to, I I think anything that's going to go to a theater is going to be like a sure thing. Like you're not going to see a lot of, uh, you know, risk in, in movies. Yeah, and I mean, I think it was pretty clear that this movie was going to be a sure thing uh, going all the way back to the fact that they were kind of leaking the fact that Garfield and Tobey Maguire were coming back. So you got like a two-year lead time where studios are testing the audience to see, hey, is there is there a is there a desire for this? Are we getting the clicks on these articles, these quote-unquote leaks? I, I legitimately wonder as we do this podcast. Uh, this week was unique. I, I wanted to make arrangements on how to see it in a theater and, and feel like I did it in a safe way. But how many times are we going to have to worry about seeing stuff in a theater that we're reviewing? It it feels like a, a brave new world. So that's my time capsule for me. It's just incredible. The first Spider-Man movie that we saw together compared to this one, the landscape has just completely changed. Yep, I uh, can't argue with that. So... I don't know if it's for the better or the worse, but uh, definitely, definitely changed. Well, I'm lazy, so it's it's better. <laughs> yeah. You mean I don't have to deal with some asshole on their phone? The only asshole on the phone is me, so I don't get upset, so. Uh, but yeah, that, that was my time capsule. Uh, it is weird to think, you know, if I were the same age as, as we saw the 2004 Spider-Man, I might regret or or be disappointed that i don't have the theatrical experience but at my age now hey if going to the theater is a, a you know once every few month thing I, i'm okay with it yeah for sure for sure so travis i have a a new it'll be a segment just for these these three movies we're doing for christmas come early but i thought it would be fun thematically if as we're doing our wrap-up we do it as if we're unwrapping a gift so what i was thinking is is there a gift that you can receive or that you've been given or something like that uh that you could compare this movie to like if you were uh, christmas morning your your little kid coming down you're ripping the paper off the box what is it you take out of the box what would what would this movie be You want me to go first? I'll go first. Give give a little bit of, I guess, you know, uh, reference for you, you know. 
So, I've ripped open my box. I've taken out a small spherical toy, all right? Travis, are you familiar with the 20 questions electronic toy that was a phenomenon like maybe 10 years ago? Uh, is this the one where it will ask you questions and then it will guess exactly what you're thinking about? Yes. Yeah, so you you think what it is, and then basically it just asks you a question. You say yes or no, and after the 20 questions, it guesses what the item is. Yeah. I don't know if it was you I was with, but I remember being in a mall and guessing telephone pole, and somehow Holy the shit. game was able to get it. That was us, Travis. That fucking was okay, us. I, I was wondering <laughs> if it was. Okay. That's even weirder, because I forgot that was the first time, so it's even older than 10 years. Um, so, to me, this movie is getting that toy, and my logic behind it is it is a fun toy. And it feels a lot like magic. It leverages a, a previous IP. 20 Questions has been around forever, right? So it doesn't really build anything new on it. But it is shiny, right? Shiny new thing. But the allure of it wears off very quickly. Um, and the problem is the more complex the thing you think of, the less likely it is to work. And, dis and it will ultimately disappoint you after a while. So that was to me what this what this movie was it is still a fun movie and i enjoy it but at a certain point it's definitely like it's a it's luster has has worn off and the more i think about it the easier it is to stump well it's incredible you say that uh because you you mentioned that, you know, the more questions you ask of the the device, the more disappointed that you're going to be. I think the reason I enjoyed this movie so much is because I float in and out of the Marvel universe. You know, I'll go four to five movies without seeing a single one. So I think I'm able to be more amazed by what this movie accomplished because I haven't seen you know, far from home. I haven't seen anything since Endgame. But for me, if if this were a, a gift that I received, it would be a subscription box. Are you familiar with subscription boxes at all? I I am. I am familiar with prescription boxes. It's how I get my medicines. Oh, no, no, no. Subscription. Oh, yes. Subscription boxes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, okay. So I'm thinking grandma gets me a three-month subscription to this uh, – you know what? Let's keep it simple. Let's say it's a Marvel subscription box, and they send me like a Thanos bobblehead and a comic book, the, the, the first box that I get. But they're also inserting teases to what's to come next. And it almost feels like every subscription box you get, what they're really selling is the excitement for what the next box is going to be. So even though my grandma got me three months, by the time that three months subscription has elapsed, I'm so excited to see what's on month four that I re-up the subscription now paying my own money. 
So as far as a gift, it feels incomplete. It feels like it's good on its own right, but its main mission is to get me addicted and ready for the next gift that I then have to pay my $9.99 a month or my $19.99 a month. So while I appreciate this movie in its own right, I know its only goal is to get is to get its hooks in me and get me wondering about an Andrew Garfield Sony Spider-Man franchise while waiting to see how Tom Holland crosses over with Daredevil. Uh, so it doesn't stand on its own right. That's is, is my short review. I uh, I really like that analysis there. So it did remind me of the last point I'll make about the movie before we wrap up here. I did, when the three of them are talking about the what's the craziest villains they fought, when Holland asks, what are the craziest villains you fought in your universe? Were you disappointed that they actually named off villains that they fought in their movies? Because I really wanted them to like name off someone that they hadn't fought in their movie and get me like, oh God, that would have been like, oh, those universes did exist beyond what we got to see in the movies and they did have other fights like to me that would have been a really fun again and and like you said laying the groundwork for an extended universe with comic books or or books or something like that to to branch off of like oh man like had they laid the seeds that like oh no there were fights you didn't get to see that again to your point with the subscription box would have gotten me excited oh man i really would have loved to actually seen garfield fight scorpion you know yeah and i I think that's, again, a byproduct of two different companies kind of parsing territory on an IP because I did have a problem with the fact that it doesn't feel like even though Tobey Maguire is older, Andrew Garfield is older, it doesn't feel like their stories have really progressed beyond where we left them on their last movie because they haven't. Mm Mm-hmm. But to take a chance of, yeah, let's mention another villain in the MCU, then it sets up the ground for, well, wait, does Sony own it or does Disney own it? So that's where the meta part gets in the way of a a good dramatic story. Mm Mm-hmm. So with that, let's go ahead and do our final little wrap-up here. You know, I would, uh, for me, I definitely recommend seeing the movie. I think that there's enough to enjoy about it especially with the character interactions it's it's definitely worth watching i don't know if it needs to be seen in the the theater uh, especially if you haven't seen it already like you're already going to kind of miss the cultural shift and people talk the water cooler talk about it i didn't think any of the fights were so magnificent or the special effects that you need to experience it on a big screen so at this point i think you know you'll it's just as enjoyable to watch it at home when it hits Disney plus, but definitely a a watch for me. Yeah, absolutely. A watch for me. Uh, it was the first movie that I've seen in theaters in quite a while. And it was not a detriment to the experience, but to your point, I don't think you have to rush out and see this in the theater. I think, there, there are no grand cinematic scenes, fight scenes that require you to see it on the big screen. Maybe like something uh, an earlier review we did was Dune. I can see you need to see Dune on the big screen. Again, as great as this is, it's still Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've seen it before. 
take your time and watch it at your comfort, but it's it's worth a watch. All righty. Well, I think that concludes this week. Next week, we've got Matrix Resurrections as we continue through our Christmas Come Early trilogy. And then we'll wrap it up with Don't Look Up. But uh, we thank you for coming and listening to us rant about a new movie. And uh, we hope to see you next week. Thanks. Have a good one. All right, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't have a pull quote at the end. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> okay, much better that time. <laughs> Goddamn, Brett, you just won the Oscar. Dual roles. <laughs> Fuck you, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Travis. With that, I think we we ended our our brief chop shops there. Uh, we jump into a couple more. Uh, what is it? Categories? Not categories. What are we sections? What's the word I'm trying to find here? Segments. Gonna redo all that. Uh, yeah, segments. I think both could work. <laughs>